Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Our sermon text is the first half of the Athanasian Creed in which we confess the Trinity. Whoever wishes to be saved must above all else hold to the true Christian faith. Whoever does not keep this faith pure in all points will certainly perish forever. Now this is the true Christian faith. We worship one God in three persons and three persons in one God without mixing the persons or dividing the divine being. For each person, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is distinct. But the deity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one equal in glory and co-eternal in majesty. What the Father is, so is the Son, and so is the Holy Spirit. The Father is uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father is infinite, the Son infinite, the Holy Spirit infinite. The Father is eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. Yet they are not three who are eternal, but there is one who is eternal, just as they are not three who are uncreated, nor three who are infinite, but there is one who is uncreated and one who is infinite. In the same way, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, the Holy Spirit is almighty. Yet they are not three who are almighty, but there is one who is almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Yet they are not three gods, but one God. So the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet they are not three lords, but one Lord. For just as Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually to be God and Lord, so the true Christian faith forbids us to speak of three gods or three lords. The Father is neither made nor created nor begotten of anyone. The Son is neither made nor created, but is begotten of the Father alone. The Holy Spirit is neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeds from the Father and the Son. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And within this Trinity, none comes before or after, none is greater or inferior, but all three persons are co-equal and co-eternal, so that in every way, as stated before, all three persons are to be worshipped as one God and one God worshipped as three persons. Whoever wishes to be saved must have this conviction of the Trinity. This is the confession of the Holy Christian Church. It's Trinity Sunday. And it's that one time of the year we say that really long creed, the Athanasian Creed. But it's very clear from what we just heard, what we just confessed, that we have a triune God. And so our sermon theme for today is we confess the Trinity in the Athanasian Creed. But did the very first words of the creed just smack against your ears? Whoever wishes to be saved must above all else hold to the true Christian faith. Whoever does not keep this faith pure in all points 
will certainly perish forever. We live in an ecumenical age where people treat God's Word and religion of all kinds as an all-you-can-eat buffet. I'll have a little bit of this over here and a little bit of that over there, and this is what I have invented for myself, and I'm happy, and how dare you tell me anything else. Christianity has always had to fight against error. In fact, it's the reason why we have creeds. For even Luther's small catechism in our confessions has become a creed, a confession of what we believe. There is truly only one confession that was not ironed out under the war of heresy and controversy. That's the Apostles' Creed, which seems to have begun as a confession adults made before they were baptized. All the others were ironed out to fight heresy. Now, the Nicene Creed was written against Arius, who we'll get into in a moment, and the man who stood up the most against Arius was Athanasius. So 300 years after Athanasius and Arius, this creed was named after Athanasius in honor of the doctrine that he fought to maintain in its purity, even at times in the point of his own persecution. So we have these creeds to say this is what the true Christian church teaches and if you believe otherwise, you may believe it, but you're not a Christian. You're in error. We don't believe these because the creeds are the word of God. No, 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 no. They're drawn from the word of God. They're a cheat sheet that simplifies things. If they're not drawn from the Word of God, if they contradict the Word of God, we throw them out. Then they're inaccurate. At the end of the Trinitarian part of this creed, we confess, so that in every way as stated before, all three persons are to be worshipped as one God, and one God worshipped as three persons. Whoever wishes to be saved must have this conviction of the Trinity. Why do we state that so strongly about error of any kind? The truth of the matter is, when it comes to teaching falsely, if we screw up, it's like a finely knit sweater where if you get that one cord caught, the whole thing unravels. It always unravels on your salvation by grace through the work of Jesus Christ. Whether the error be in the law or in the gospel, it will always end up unraveling to that core teaching of Scripture, which we call justification by grace. Christianity has always had to deal with false teaching. And for example, the last apostle alive in his late 80s, early 90s, John writes in the second epistle of John, verse 7, Many deceivers who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. That's the hard thing. There's been times I've been confused about Scripture. I didn't mean to teach contrary to Christ, but the difference is when I found out I was wrong, I corrected it. I told the people I had taught incorrectly I was wrong. Somebody who persists in teaching, for example, about the Trinity, things that clearly contradict Scripture is a false teacher, and we label them as such. These creeds are meant to be cheat sheets so we can take a look and say, what you're teaching me is wrong. 
So we have the creeds in order to show what's correct teaching and what's wrong. But there's another reason why we use creeds. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, Since we have that same spirit of faith, which corresponds to what is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken, we also believe and therefore we speak. This is a way in which we speak a unified faith. When you just read this creed, stop and think that you have confessed something that appears to have originally been a hymn that the Christian church has been speaking since roughly 600 A.D. You're in unity with the brothers and sisters in Christ who have long since gone to heaven. When I was a child, members of that cult, there's two cults in Wyoming that are known for knocking on doors, had come and knocked on the door and my dad had a conversation with them and they asked my father what he believes. They were expecting to hear him say, well, I'm a member of this denomination or that denomination. Instead, my father told them the Apostles' Creed. They were awestruck. They started asking him questions. Guess who started doing the converting? Creeds are a confession that unify us because they're a cheat sheet. We say this is false teaching, this is correct teaching, and we say here is our unified faith as we have a unified spirit. So we confess the Trinity in the Athanasian Creed. Those who believe it are saved. Last thing I want to say on this point. When I was five years old, I knew of God the Father. I knew of God the Holy Spirit. I knew of God the Son. Mostly what I knew about the Holy Spirit was pictures of a dove in my Sunday school lessons. If I had died then, I would not have laid out the Trinity as clearly as the Athanasian Creed does, but I would be saved. Naivety is different than deliberately teaching against what Scripture says. So we don't want to read more into this than what we mean to say as well. So let's get into that confession of the Trinity. Now, this is the true Christian faith. We worship one God in three persons and three persons in one God without mixing the persons or dividing the divine being. For each person, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is distinct. But the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory and co-equal in majesty. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, right before Jesus ascends, he tells those disciples to go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In that particular case, he doesn't say the names because he's putting all their work together and the name of God there represents everything God does. God the Father is a different person than God the Son, who is a different person than God the Holy Spirit, but they're not three separate gods. They are one undivided, united deity. And so in John chapter 10, the great Good Shepherd sermon, in verses 29 through 30, Jesus says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Many years ago, when I was a young man, members of one of those cults that come knocking on the door came trying to tell me that there is a separate father and a separate son as far as their different gods. This is a cult that tries to cover itself as Christianity. This Bible passage came to memory, and I asked them, how can they say I and the Father are one if they're three separate gods? Well, they ran off to ask their cult leader about it, and they came back the next day and they told me, what he means to say is they are in one accord. 
And I told him at that time the Honda Accord was only a decade old. They're not talking about cars. Sorry, that was a terrible joke. Here we see Jesus showing a separate personality, the Father, but a unity in deity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When this creed was written, the Christian church had already battled against a heretic named Sibelius, and he basically taught modalism. And this was the idea there's one God, but he puts on different masks, like a child in a puppet show, to deal with you. But that really causes a confusion when God the Father speaks and God the Son is there. What's going on there? So we clearly confess, contrary to what many other religions accuse us of, There's three distinct persons, but one unified God. So, so far we see we confess the Trinity in the Athanasian Creed. Those who believe it are saved. That's three unified persons, but only one God. Next, we confess what the Father is, so is the Son, and so is the Holy Spirit. The Father is uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father is infinite, the Son infinite, the Holy Spirit infinite. The Father is eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. Yet they are not three who are eternal, but there is one who is eternal. Just as they are not three who are uncreated, nor three who are infinite. But there is one who is uncreated and one who is infinite. Now we get into Arius. Arius taught that Jesus was created by the Father and that eventually the Father, basically because he created him, would have had to adopt him as God. But if Jesus was not true God as to his nature, his death would not be powerful enough to atone for every one of my rotten sins and every one of your rotten, miserable sins and every sin of the world so that the only thing that damns a person to hell is unbelief. Against Arius, we can immediately think of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, where we're told, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him everything was made, and without Him not one thing was made that has been made. Everything that was made was made through Christ. He's the spokesman of the Trinity. He's the one who spoke, Let there be light. Very rarely does God the Father speak. It's recorded three times in the New Testament. And so we see Jesus would have had to create himself. There are many things we can understand about the Trinity, and almost every one of them is listed in this creed. But there's a lot we can't understand. I started out as an engineering student before I became a pastor, and I had a lot of math and science. And I can tell you that in all those math or sciences where I had to do math, if I had to write three equals one, my instructor would rightfully put a big fat red check mark wrong. This defies human logic. This is something that's accepted by faith. When we ask, how can this be? We say, that's God's problem, not mine. He's given me the faith to simply believe it. And so we see we have one eternal, infinite God against the idea that one member was created or something like that. But many people, they look at the Old Testament and the New Testament and they say, well, the difference is in the Old Testament, God's an angry God whooping up on them Egyptians and things. And in the New Testament, he's a kindly, gracious God who kind of winks at your sin, says, I beat up on my son for you. And that kind of foolish thinking that has haunted the Christian church 
led the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche a hundred years ago to say, gee, God starts out like this vigorous young man, and then we see him acting like a kindly old grandfather, never mind the fact that I've known a few old men that are more cantankerous than ever, and therefore, as we see him getting older, God must be dead. But did you hear what we just confessed? They are co-eternal. God the Father is never going to die. God the Son is never going to die. God the Holy Spirit is never going to die. Your salvation was always in the bag, shall we say, and always will. So you do not have to worry 10,000 years into paradise that something goes wrong. And do you notice that we confess that he's infinite? It's another way we confess that is to say he's omnipresent. He's present everywhere. Now, infinite means way more than that. I don't want to limit the word. That doesn't mean that the tree is God. It means God is everywhere. And this is a comfort for us. God is everywhere, and therefore God is all-knowing. Again, 10,000 years into paradise in heaven, you don't have to worry about the God the Father saying, Ah, there was that one sin you committed when you were five years old, and I didn't see it, so I forgot to pour my son's blood on it. Off to hell you go. Sorry about that. My mistake. God is present everywhere and infinite. And so we confess the Trinity and the Athanasian Creed. We confess three unified persons, but only one God, and that one God is eternal and infinite. Next we confess, in the same way the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Holy Spirit is almighty, yet they are not three who are almighty, but there is one who is almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Yet they are not three gods, but one God. So the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet they are not three lords, but one Lord. For just as Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually to be God and Lord, so the true Christian faith forbids us to speak of three gods or three lords. God is almighty. In your catechism, you learn the word omnipotent. All-powerful. There again, we are very comforted. Now, some people look at the fact that Jesus, during his earthly life, was not using all the powers or letting all the glory of his Godhood shine through, and so they think that Jesus is not as powerful as the Father. Subordinationism. Here again, we confess that's just not the case. Jesus, in his state of exaltation, is using all of his godhood. And it's important for you to know that even Jesus is almighty, the Holy Spirit's almighty, the Father's almighty. Because once again, 10,000 years into eternity, you don't have to worry about that devil breaking out of prison and rebelling against God and somehow winning. The devil never could win against God because God is all-powerful. And we confess Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be Lord. Now, when we think of God as Lord, it's a weird way for us to think as Americans, but he's master. He's master of all creation because he's the one who made it. In John chapter 14, again, on the night Jesus is betrayed after the Lord's Supper, but before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, we're told in verses 6 through 7, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you would also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So we see Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are all Lord. It's not that at some point in time, we're going to find out Jesus wasn't all Lord and there's a bluff. He, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, is our one almighty God and Lord. All three are the king of creation. 
And it's a comfort for you because they rule over creation to bring you to and keep you in your salvation. They will recreate this with the new heavens and the new earth and they will give you that. And because they are the king of all creation, nothing will ever snatch that away from you. And so we confess the father is neither made nor created nor begotten of anyone. The son is neither made nor created, but is begotten of the father alone. The Holy Spirit is neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeds from the father and the son. So there is one father, not three fathers, one son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And within this Trinity, none comes before or after. None is greater or inferior, but all three persons are co-equal and co-eternal so that in every way as stated before all three persons are to be worshipped as one God and one God worshipped as three persons here again that word co-equal Jesus during his earthly ministry on the night he's betrayed in the garden of Gethsemane prays father if it's possible may this cup be taken from me yet not my will but your will Jesus was looking at the pain of the cross People then use that passage as saying Jesus was subordinate to the Father and the Father made this happen to Jesus. Jesus went to that cross for you, willingly. And so we have to understand that it's not that that, that God the Father rules over God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They are co-equal. And so again, you don't have to worry about 10,000 years into the new heavens and the new earth, God the Father going, you know... This salvation by faith thing that my son did, I've changed my mind on that. They're all co-equal. None of them work against the will of the other. They have one unified will. And the comfort for you is that will was to save you and give you eternal salvation. So here we confess that they are co-equal and co-eternal, But there was one controversy that happened after this creed came out. On the eastern side of Europe and Christianity, when we said that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, the eastern side had a problem with saying that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son. And that can lead to all kinds of things, because then we're saying the Son isn't co-equal to the Father. On the night Jesus was betrayed, in those instructions he gave to the disciples after the Lord's Supper, in John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you everything I have told you. The Father doesn't just send the Holy Spirit, he sends him in Jesus' name, because the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, not one to the exclusion of the others. And after Jesus rose from the grave, before he ascends, in John chapter 20, verse 22, we're told of Jesus, after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So we see the Holy Spirit coming out from Jesus. The reason why there's a controversy boils down to people thinking that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are below God the Father. But again, they're co-equal co-eternal, and that means your salvation is safe in our triune God. So yes, at the end of what I say is the Trinity section of the Athanasian Creed, we confess whoever wishes to be saved must have this conviction of the Trinity because the one God in three persons has worked to bring you to and keep you in your salvation. So we confess the Trinity in the Athanasian Creed. Those who believe it are saved. There are three unified persons, but only one God, one eternal and infinite God, one almighty God and Lord, one co-equal and co-eternal God. Amen.
Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let us continue confessing our faith. It is furthermore necessary for eternal salvation truly to believe that our Lord Jesus Christ also took on human flesh. Now this is the true Christian faith. We believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and man. He is God, eternally begotten from the nature of the Father, and He is man, born in time from the nature of His mother, fully God, fully man, with rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as to His deity, less than the Father as to his humanity. And though he is both God and man, Christ is not two persons, but one. One not by changing the deity into flesh, but by taking the humanity into God. One indeed, not by mixture of the natures, but by unity in one person. For just as the rational soul and flesh are one human being, so God and man are one Christ. He suffered for our salvation, descended into hell, rose the third day from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all people will rise with their own bodies to answer for their personal deeds. Those who have done good will enter eternal life, but those who have done evil will go into eternal fire. This is the true Christian faith. Whoever does not faithfully and firmly believe this cannot be saved. Let us pray. Father, for giving us life and breath, talent and energy, we thank you. For income and nourishment, for honest work and opportunities to be useful, we look gratefully to you as our provider. For safety in our travels, we rejoice in the protection your angels give. For national peace, public prosperity, and moral consciousness in all citizens, hear our prayers. Lord Jesus, Through you we have the full rights of children of God. What love the Father has lavished on us through our relationship with you. We praise you for saving us and giving your life as a ransom for our sin. May our spirits revive in the rest and peace of your forgiveness. Holy Spirit, through word and sacrament, restore to us the joy of your salvation. Cause the good seed of the word to produce sturdy faith and godly attitudes and behavior in each believer. We rejoice this day in the fellowship we enjoy in our congregation and our synod. Keep our parish and synodical leaders faithful to their tasks. Make them men of both courage and prayer. Preserve Christ-centered doctrine and practice in our fellowship at all times. Make each of us active in Christian service and supportive of our leaders. 
Gracious Lord, as our nation is tearing itself apart over the death of George Floyd, we ask you to protect property. We thank you for good police and good military that do as you have designed it to do. And we ask that you give justice in whatever the circumstances are here, but to give peace to our nations and help those whose businesses have been destroyed after the isolation from this COVID virus to be able to put food on their tables. Gracious Lord, in the same way as our oil industry in Wyoming is bust and our state is going bankrupt, we ask you to be with those who have lost their jobs and those whose income is being affected by this. And, and we pray, Lord, that you let them see your providing hand as you find new ways that they may have never even thought of to put food on their table and shelter over their heads. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Open our eyes to see the spiritual dangers facing those who do not yet trust you as Savior and Lord. Move us to share with them the hope of unending life we have in you. Go with us into our world and support us in all we do to your glory. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.